Here's a new way to stay connected to Issues Etc. Check out our page on Facebook. Network with fellow Issues Etc. junkies. Sign up to become a fan, and we'll send you updates on future topics and guests. You'll even find photos of in-studio guests, Todd drinking gelato, and highlights from our one-year anniversary open house. You'll discover that Todd, Jeff, and Craig really do have faces for radio on Facebook. Issues Etc. on Facebook. Another way to stay connected to Issues Etc. Facebook.com slash Issues ETC. The analogy that I've used in my book is uh, what I and others call an incarnational analogy of roughly trying to think of the Bible the way we think of Jesus, who is in some mysterious, inexplicable sense, 100% divine and 100% human. So uh, Christian theologians have made this connection saying, well, Jesus, the word capital W, is divine and human. Well, the Bible, lowercase w, word, is, is, is like that. There's an analogy. That's Dr. Peter Enns, a former professor at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. It sounds reasonable, doesn't it? If you were to say, well, okay, then, of course, Jesus is perfect in his divinity and perfect in his humanity. The Word, the Bible, is perfect in its divine origin and also, in spite of its human authors, is also perfect in everything it says because of its divine origin. I don't think many Christians would have a problem with the analogy that Dr. Enns proposes, but that's not the conclusion he wants you to draw about the Bible. He wants you to draw the conclusion that the Bible has contradictions and errors, but don't worry. There's no need to worry about it because we're comfortable with that now. They call it a new way of looking at the Bible, and now it's evangelicals, or those considered within the pale of evangelical influence, who are accepting this qualified view of biblical inerrancy. James White joins us. We're going to be talking about biblical inerrancy. We want you to join us as well on this Wednesday afternoon, September the 9th, one eight seven seven six two three my ie 877-623-6943. You can email us with questions or comments, talk back at issuesetc.org, or if you're following us at Twitter, send us a tweet at issuesetc, at issuesetc. James White is director of Alpha and Omega Ministries. Based in Phoenix, he's author of more than 20 books. He's also written a story in the latest Christian research journal titled, Does Inerrancy Matter Any Longer? James, welcome back. It's good to be with you. Now, they're calling this a new way of looking at the Bible, but when I listen to uh, some of the proponents of this qualified view of inerrancy and uh, and this new way of looking at the Bible, Dr. Peter Enns and others in the evangelical circles— Sounds an awful lot like the old way of looking at the Bible, liberal Bible scholarship. They just have a much more, they have just a, a kind of less offensive way of putting it. Yeah, unfortunately, it, all, it uh, very much comes to the, the same conclusions, but uh, uh, obviously <clears throat> there is a desire for whatever reasons, uh, possibly because of where you're teaching, or maybe sincere desire um, to wrestle with difficulties in a quote-unquote new way, uh, whatever it might be, uh, the, the end result is, is the same. When I was in seminary, the uh, uh, buzzword was, there is a tension in the text. Uh, that was always how you knew the professor was talking about an alleged contradiction, but he didn't want to use that particular phraseology. So, but it comes down to the same thing, and, and that is, uh, you know, the question that I asked of, of uh, Dr. N's position is, all right, if you're going to use the incarnational model, and say, uh, Jesus is fully God and fully man. Okay, where did you get that? 
what's what's your foundation for that? If you don't have a reliable revelation from God that you can say truly is revelation from God, maybe that's part of the human aspect that isn't really fully representative of the divine. Uh, the, the whole idea of deriving that kind of a paradigm, I think, becomes a, an exercise in futility. Uh, as we've seen in a lot of mainline denominations, once the authority of Scripture and the doctrine of inerrancy is abandoned, it's not long until such things as the Trinity and the deity of Christ and uh, the hypostatic union and the atonement and resurrection all become myths uh, that we spend our time trying to learn moral lessons from. And uh, I think that's one of the problems you have there. Obviously, the other problem of using an incarnational model is that the human nature of Christ is uh, obviously not one that is tainted by sin, whereas uh, the only meaningful connection that I could draw in Dr. N's assertions uh, in regards to uh, mainly the Old Testament material that, he's, that he uh, presented, because that's his area, is that there is some kind of a lack of understanding, a lack of knowledge, a lack of insight, something associated with the fallen uh, creation uh, that would be the only logical connection there to explain uh, these alleged um, difficulties or paradoxes or whatever other terminology someone might wish to use to get around saying, well, we just don't know what's going on here, and I don't like the various uh, uh, answers that have been suggested over the years. The proponents of this new way of looking at the Bible um, often criticize people they call fundamentalists, uh, you know, people who believe in a, in a verbal inspiration, in an inerrancy and infallibility of Holy Scripture, and they'll say, look, you guys, it's it's arrogant. You you claim to know the mind of God, but I look at their positions and where they're willing to say, now, this is, this is divine, this is the product of the divine inspiration, this is the product of human uh, agency in the Bible, and pick and choose. Don't they also claim to know the mind of God in some sense? Well, the question has to be has to be phrased in such a way as to say, who is actually accepting uh, and embracing a a view of scripture that the, the scriptural authors themselves would have recognized and followed? And so, when someone says to me, "Well, you're you know, how arrogant for you to claim to know the mind of God," well, if God has determined that it's appropriate to reveal certain aspects of His truth, how arrogant for you to think that He couldn't do so with enough clarity that uh, creatures could know what His truth is? Uh, I'm not making any claim for myself uh, when I just simply accept the view of Scripture that is so plainly set forth in the in the 119th Psalm or in Jesus' own treatment of Scripture constantly. And you are correct when you point out that from their own perspective, they are in essence having to uh, introduce a whole new element where we get to sort of go, well... This is the human aspect here, and this is the divine aspect over there. Well, who gets to make that decision? You have to come up with these these paradigms, which in in our day are very frequently uh, postmodern or or some type of traditional paradigm that becomes the lens uh, through which you determine what is and what is not uh, divine and what is and what is not the human aspect of Scripture. And uh, again, it, it leads to uh, the the inevitable collapse of of a view of Scripture as having anything meaningful to say uh, that we've seen in so many of the mainline denominations over the past century and a half. Using uh, Peter Enns and his argument as an example, lay out for us what the uh, new view of the Bible is actually asserting. What is its argument? 
Well, it seems to me, and we certainly can understand this. We, you know, you have to recognize the uh, true elements of what anyone is. Uh, you know, why why would Peter Ends go here, especially to a place as historically conservative as Westminster Seminary? Um, there are difficulties in the Bible that a lot of Christians are not aware of. Um, I have been beating the drum for many, many, many years that in the local church, uh, in our teaching and in our preaching, we should be wrestling with these things and we should be preparing uh, not only our young people for the onslaught that they will experience when they go into secular education, but um, our, our older people as well. Uh, we, we should wrestle with, uh, with the difficulties as we encounter them. We should not just sweep them under the, under the rug. And in light of uh, the internet and the the constant barrage of attacks upon our faith from every different direction in society today, we are going to have these things brought to our attention one way or the other, and I think it's best to deal with it in the in the context of faith. So, basically, what Dr. Enz is saying is, hey, look, um, look at these uh, ancient sources that I, as an Old Testament scholar, and that's Dr. Enz's area, um, have to wrestle with. Um, he raises, <clears throat> you know, the Gilgamesh epic, he, he raises parallels between the creation accounts and uh, and other creation accounts in antiquity. He looks at uh, the the Nutzi texts and the uh, uh, legal documents and, and points out parallels between the legal system and basically asks the question: Hey, if this is really revelation from God, why does it seem so very similar to what we find elsewhere? And he raises the possibility, though he never really established this one very strongly, in my opinion, uh, that there was a collection of proverbs that comes from Egypt, and that uh, this was uh, important in the formation of, this, of the proverbs of Solomon, and, and uh, various aspects like this. And then just sort of briefly tacks on to that uh, some of the many synoptic issues that New Testament scholars have dealt with for uh, many, uh, many years now, and basically says, in light of these things, rather than doing what uh, conservatives have done, which seems to them uh, to be so artificial, and that is seeking for harmonization, seeking for a way for uh, to, to fit these things together within the genre of literature it is, within the context it is, etc., etc. Uh, seemingly people are tired of doing that, or they're embarrassed by having to do that or something. I don't know. Uh, but they, they say, well... I think the way to deal with this is to look at it incarnationally. And these these similarities to uh, the ancient laws of ancient peoples, that's the, the human aspect because of the context in which it was written, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but the transcendent revelations of, let's say, monotheism or... Uh, prophecy, the coming of the Messiah, God's purposes in Christ, etc., etc. Uh, these would be the uh, the divine aspect of of the revelation, and I honestly can't explain how that really accomplishes a whole lot, other than uh, it allows you to sit at the table with. Um, secularists and, and humanists and skeptics and, and chuckle along at the people who still use terms like inerrancy. Um, but I don't see how it actually 
gives you anything that's that's overly uh, relevant or useful, and it's certainly in an apologetic context, it has no apologetic value at all, as far as I can tell. Um, I think Dr. Frame was right in um, identifying uh, this uh, impetus as basically being these folks want to sit at the table with with uh, non-Christian scholarship and and be viewed as, in essence, partaking of the same uh, uh, table. And well, let's uh, take a break I, there. When we come back. Uh, if this is why they're doing it, what are they doing and how much influence is this new view of Scripture having, especially in American evangelicalism? James White is our guest. It's Wednesday afternoon, September the 9th. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Thanks to God's gift of the Internet, people are listening to Issues Etc. around the world. From Japan to Oslo, Norway, here is Simon. Simon, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I want to vote for uh, Benny Hinn. My reason for doing so is because, uh, well, Jesus, the second Adam, ascended to heaven. So I guess there's some truth to it. (laughs) Thank you very much. Apparently they have senses of humor in Norway. Thank you very much for listening in Norway. Christ-centered, cross-focused talk radio for the world. Issues, etc. Here's a new way to stay connected to Issues, etc. Check out our page on Facebook. Network with fellow Issues Etc. junkies. Sign up to become a fan, and we'll send you updates on future topics and guests. You'll even find photos of in-studio guests, Todd drinking gelada, and highlights from our one-year anniversary open house. You'll discover that Todd, Jeff, and Craig really do have faces for radio on Facebook. Issues Etc. on Facebook. Another way to stay connected to Issues Etc. Facebook.com slash Issues ETC. Grace, Faith, Scripture, and Christ Alone. You're listening to Issues Etc. The Chinese government rethinks population policies. This is a special commentary from the Susan B. Anthony List, named for the suffragette who was proudly pro-life. After decades of its one-child policy, sometimes brutally enforced by mandatory abortion and sterilization, the Chinese government is backpedaling. Although not getting rid of the policy altogether, officials have decided to make exceptions for, ironically, parents who are themselves only children. Such couples will be allowed to have two children instead of just one. Currently, 8% of Chinese citizens are over age 65, and the UN estimates that number could triple by mid-century. This result of the one-child policy should serve as a warning to many nations facing underpopulation. This is Marjorie Dannenfelser, president of the Susan B. Anthony List. To join us in our battle for life, visit our website at sba-list.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. James White is our guest. He's director of Alpha and Omega Ministries, based in Phoenix, author of more than 20 books, and he's written a story for the latest Christian research journal titled, Does Inerrancy Matter Any Longer? Our call in number 1-877-623-MIIE, 877-623-6943. Email us, talkback at issuesetc.org, or if you're following us at Twitter, our address, at issuesetc. James, they're sitting at the table now with uh, kind of the classical liberal Bible scholars, and they're all chuckling and drinking their brandy, whatever they do. And uh, and and I imagine the conversation where they're talking about, say, for instance, uh, let's go to let's go to N's area of specialty, the Book of Genesis. And uh, 
the liberal Bible scholar, the old style one, will say, you know, this is all the product of influence of the Gilgamesh epic that was so popular in Babylonia that the, when, the, uh, when they got to the exile period, they just copped it and they attributed it to this mythical figure named Moses. And ergo, we get the first couple chapters and the flood account and whatnot. And um, they've, the, the biblical scholar there or the liberal Bible scholar has essentially said it's all human. What argument could anyone a proponent of the new view make that's, that any of it is of divine origin? Well, it would sort of depend on the context. Uh, the, the, it seems like that part of the reason for doing this and part of the, the function of this is so that you can try to join these various realms together, the, the SBL realm, uh, shall we say, uh, where you can run into any kind of perspective and will run into any kind of perspective, and then the church realm. And so I don't get the feeling that Peter Enns wants to leave the church or leave, quote-unquote, evangelicalism, but he wants to import this concept so that you can, in essence, live in both worlds. And I personally uh, think that Christian scholarship really needs to determine uh, whether Christ is Lord of all things or only Lord of certain parts of things and make a decision that we are going to demonstrate the highest standards of scholarship, but doing so very clearly and openly under the Lordship of Christ. And that's a scandal, and it's foolishness uh, to those outside, but um, that's, that's what inspired Scripture says, and unless we're going to make that part of the human uh, aspect, then there's not much we can do about that. So I think part of the motivation, then, is when you're at SBL, you don't have to worry about the divine element of it. That's sort of the unspoken nod-nod-wink-wink part that, uh, well, you know, there's still some people who believe this, but hey, there's nothing we can't deconstruct. Uh, it's when you go back into the church context, which you have to be able to do when you're at Westminster, um, that you can uh, default back to the the greater uh, story, the greater perspective, that's the divine aspect of it. God teaches us things through this. It, it really, like I said, does not answer those questions. It, it leaves those questions in an area of mystery, and that is part of its appeal to many people today. You would ask something about the influence that it could have. It, it does seem to me that there are a lot of people in the seminary these days that find that kind of perspective extremely appealing. They don't like the old style, here are the answers. Uh, you look for answers. We're, we're trying to put things together and make coherent sense out of them. In a more postmodern world, it's uh, much more uh, engaging and attractive to talk about uh, antinomy and uh, not so much contradiction as mystery. Um, and there are a lot of folks who just like that. That's, that's, uh, that speaks to the emergent church and things like that. Of course, from my perspective as an apologist, I, I'm sitting here going, uh, I wonder what the Muslims are thinking as they listen to this. I wonder, you know, what these enemies of the faith are thinking, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This becomes the very fodder of the people that I'm debating uh, literally around the world these days. Uh, they just love to point to these folks. And they see these folks have looked into this, and they realize that there's really no way to continue to hold the position that Christianity has always held in regards to who Jesus is and the cross and the resurrection and all the rest of these things. Now, that's not their intention, but that is the result of, uh, of much of what they're doing. Um. I went out during my seminary days, uh, for some reason, I foolishly decided in post-seminary uh, graduate work to uh, take Ugaritic, the language. <laughs> it, 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 Excuse me, I didn't mean to laugh there. Well, it's, it's considered a cognate of ancient, uh, of ancient Hebrew, and so oh, yeah. I, was, I, I was pursuing something in Old Testament, and I did it, and it was 
an interesting experience, but one of the things we yeah. had to do in the class was read the Gilgamesh epic in transliterated Ugaritic. And, oh. um, and I had heard before, oh, my goodness, it's the Babylonian Genesis. Oh, my goodness, yeah. it's so similar to the Genesis account, including the flood. And then you started reading it. And I read it, and I said, this, <laughs> this has the barest of parallels in the creation account. Yeah. And when yeah. you get to the flood account, um, it reads nothing like the, there, yes, there's a flood, and yes, there's a creation, and beyond that, the parallels are pretty sparse. Well, it's it's the dissimilarities that <clears throat> absolutely make any, I think, uh, fair-minded person, and those are few and far between these days. But, but I, I, I've experienced the exact same um, astonishment uh, that you have because I've been forced into these things. Well, the very first hyper-expensive books, you know, the ones by Fortress or Brill or something like that that I bought for my uh, library was uh, Pritchard's Ancient Near Eastern Texts. And uh, once you start digging through these things, you, you, you ask yourself the question, uh, did these folks just <clears throat> run out of something to be doing today when they were writing these things about parallels? Because it's the dissimilarities, it's the massive differences between these, the very foundational differences between these that, that stick out and go, <clears throat> look how amazingly monotheistic, purposeful, directional, uh, vastly different from the religions around them, Israel really was. But that's not the stuff, and here's where how we do scholarship really needs to be addressed and thought of. That's not the stuff that gets published. Because people have already said that. So since it's already been said, it doesn't get republished. And that's where I think we really need to think about the process of scholarship. Because the, the world's view of scholarship is, if it's, if it's not something new, it's not going to get published. But what does that do? That rewards heresy, and it, and it punishes orthodoxy. Um, what we should be doing is encouraging... Uh, even more deep study of what has been said before and a further explanation of it and things like that. So, yeah, you're exactly right. You really start digging into these things, and you really wonder at some of the parallels that are being uh, drawn, not only there, but uh, in just a couple weeks up in Portland, I'll be debating Dan Barker, a well-known atheist, um, on the uniqueness of Jesus. And he's going to be defending the idea that this myth of Jesus was, was cobbled together from, the, from Osiris and Mithra and Dionysus and all the rest of this stuff. And when you really dig into what all that stuff is about, you discover, my goodness, the massive foundational fundamental differences. And yet um, you're not going to hear that on NPR and, and uh, in the Time Magazine articles so when these folks are interviewed and uh, this stuff is put out into the public. one eight seven seven six two three my ie Talk back at issuesetc.org or Twitter us at issuesetc. Steve is listening in his car. Hi, Steve. Thanks for waiting. Hey. No problem. My question is this: Is a lot of the quote evangelical? Do they have a problem with contradiction, or is it more of a basic issue of they can't live with paradox? And and what we mean by that is Christ being one hundred percent human and one hundred percent divine. That's a paradox. Steve, thank you very much. James, your response. Well, it really depends on how you define that. Uh, I, I don't think that. Um, while while ENDS tries to avoid the term contradiction because of, of its meaning, um, he really is saying that there are issues in the Bible for which we not only do not have answers, but the answers that have been offered in the past um, uh, push it beyond the level of, of merely a paradox. Um, the ecumen- I'm sorry, the, uh, the incarnational model gives him some categories in which to speak, but the reality still comes down to asking the question, all right, 
even in those areas that you would attribute to the human in the incarnational model, are there ignorances, are there errors that people make? And I think he'd have to fundamentally say, well, yes, but they don't uh, impact the overall message is, is basically where he's going there. But it really seems to me that at least for ends, and that was what I was asked to focus on in the article, at least for ends, it, it seems like what he's doing is he's recognizing these arguments and his fundamental argument is I haven't found the answers that have been given uh, to be satisfying to me. And therefore, I've given up the quest for more satisfying answers because I don't think this is the road we need to be on the first place. We need to go a different direction completely. I think Steve's onto something in asking about the appeal among evangelicals because um, it strikes me that um, some of them would say, look, I was raised in, and I'm talking here about kind of your average. Uh, garden variety evangelical. I was raised in a fundamentalist church where I was taught never to question um, anything in the Bible and even to ignore some contradictions, apparent contradictions. And then I picked up a little Bible dictionary and I found out there are multiple manuscripts, there's, there are flags on the play in the original texts, um, and and all sorts of things there. And suddenly my entire foundation was utterly shaken with about yeah. 30 seconds. How would you respond to someone who comes to you with that concern? Well, I fully understand uh, that concern, and that's why, as I said before, I think these are issues that we do need to be incorporating into our teaching uh, in the most solid uh, conservative uh, churches around. We can't duck these things. We can't uh, allow our folks to run into these things headlong uh, without having been prepared to see that there is a meaningful answer to be given to these things that does not require the abandonment of the historical view of Scripture. James White is our guest. We're talking about biblical inerrancy. It's Wednesday afternoon, September the 9th. I want to hear from you. one 623 6943 Ready to answer your questions and respond to your comments on biblical inerrancy. Have you given up on it? Did you realize that because there is a more complex history to the biblical text you've always trusted, you can't trust it anymore? Or what are your arguments in favor of biblical inerrancy? I want to hear from you. one eight seven seven six two three my ie Talk back at issuesetc.org or Twitter us at issuesetc. James White is director of Alpha and Omega Ministries based in Phoenix. He's authored more than 20 books, and he's written an article for the Christian Research Journal titled, Does Inerrancy Matter Any Longer? Stay tuned. Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois, is happy to support the Christ-centered, cross-focused ministry of Issues Etc. Join us for worship, Bible classes, youth ministry, and other opportunities to grow in Christ. We have a Christian day school for children in preschool to 8th grade. We are located at 1300 Beltline Road. Call us at 618-344-3151 or visit www.goodshepherdcollinsville.org. Thanks for sending us your email. Having produced issues, etc. for more than 15 years, I can tell you that we've never received email response like this. Unfortunately, we simply can't reply to all of your email. So here's a way that I can almost guarantee a response to your question or comment. Call the Issues Etc. comment line, 618-223-8384. It's available for your questions or comments 24-7, 618-223-8384.
Real Reformation Radio. You're listening to Issues Etc. International human rights attorney and law professor Dr. John Warwick Montgomery on the importance of Issues Etc. Before settling in England and France, I had my own Christian radio program for 10 years in California and two years in Washington State. I was also a regular for over a decade on national religious television. In a word, I have had a great deal of contact with evangelical programming, both good and bad, and my judgment in this area is probably worth something. In my opinion, Issues Etc. is one of the very few programs on Christian radio willing to discuss tough questions with solid theological answers. I consider it a great privilege to be able to appear on the program regularly, and I commend it to every serious listener. You can support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. by making a tax-deductible gift today. Donate online at issuesetc.org, or you can donate by check. Lutheran Public Radio, Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Defending the faith, teaching the truth. Issues Etc. I can say with full confidence, I think the Bible is literally true, um, but uh, we have to define literary and we have to define true. If God is truth, um, then the truth should not uh, bother us. Of course, then we have to get to definitions of what is truth. That's Peter Ann's author of Inspiration and Incarnation. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're talking about biblical inerrancy with James White director of Alpha and Omega Ministries based in Phoenix. You'll find a link to Alpha and Omega Ministries at our website, issuesetc.org. Go to the on-demand page. Here's Herman listening in Illinois. Hi, Herman. Uh, Thank you for taking my call. Uh, Just uh, two points. In uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 44, Jesus identifies himself with the entirety of Scripture. And so what point is there is trying to uh, set Scripture against Jesus in the in the sense of the incarnation, uh, uh, the difference is the same essentially. Uh, and also those early Gilgamesh uh, epics and so forth, couldn't they well be uh, the memory, a distorted memory of fallen sinful man about the flood at the time of Noah? That's been kind of transposed into other distorted notions and things. Herman, thank you very much. Two good questions. First of all. Um, with regard to his first question, let's take the second one first. That is the yep. Gilgamesh epic, since that's where we were before. Does it, isn't it plausible to say it, history reads the other way around as to what ENDS is proposing? Oh, yeah, that, that was what I suggested in my article, is that it's hardly surprising to me at all that there would be other uh, <clears throat> documentary evidence of events such as that. It doesn't surprise me at all that there would be legal similarities in those cultures. Um, if we, we believe that man is created in the image of God, and therefore uh, that uh, revelation that God has given to man uh, is going to re- be reflected in what uh, man does in other places. So I... I I raised that issue myself as, as a example of, uh, in reality, some of these things that he, that he brought up are not problems at all. They are, I think, further confirmations of scriptural truth that preceding generations did not have access to because we did not have access to this material. It's only the context you place it in uh, that can turn into anything uh, less than that. And Herman also asks about Jesus' view of scripture. Does Jesus share Peter Enns and the other modern scholars' views? <clears throat> of the Bible, especially the Old Testament? It really becomes frightening at that point, because that, that is a question I, I have been asking uh, professors and colleagues 
since I was in seminary because it strikes me as, and maybe I'm just a simplistic person, but it strikes me that if you're going to claim that Jesus is your Savior, uh, that you are dependent upon Him for eternal life, that to couple that with uh, the idea that, well, you know, He was just a man of His time, uh, He thought these things, but it doesn't really matter that He did or didn't, you know, we can be wiser than He was. I, I see a real fundamental problem there, um, personally, and uh, I, I've often asked people, have you ever considered what Jesus' views of the Scriptures were? And it's interesting that he mentioned uh, Luke twenty four forty four because, as you probably know in my article, uh, one well, of the texts I focused on was Luke twenty four forty five, uh, where Jesus, after the resurrection, opens the minds of the disciples so that they might understand the Scriptures. There is a spiritual element here, and that's part of what I think embarrasses uh, evangelical scholars when they go to SBL or something like that. They, they don't want to uh, really admit uh, that element of it, that there is a spiritual element to the Scriptures that is not a part of secular literature. And, uh, again, it goes back to, you know, what's, what are we really doing scholarship for? Are we doing this to glorify God, serve Christ and His Church, uh, or are we doing this to uh, impress our, our colleagues uh, uh, that uh, teach in the secular university? And, really, I just don't see any way uh, to be a Christian scholar and to be embarrassed by the fact that Jesus had to open the minds of the disciples to be able to understand the scriptures and their prophetic testimony to himself. It's right there on the page. Do with it what you will, but it doesn't embarrass me. Can, uh, can you tinker with inerrancy without uh, also messing up uh, inspiration, especially the plenary verbal inspiration of the text as, as, uh, as tradition would teach us? Can you mess with one without messing with the other? I mean, N says... Oh, those things you find, God is still inspiring it, but he's condescending to right. our way of thinking. Yeah, obviously I come at that from a probably way too practical perspective. Uh, and again, that is, I'm, I'm on the front lines with the Muslims and the atheists and, and the Mormons. And uh, maybe in a graduate seminar someplace... Uh, or, you know, sitting in Starbucks with a, uh, after a few lattes, you might be able to find some way of um, using big enough words to make it sound like you can tinker with the one without tinkering with the other. But history tells us, rather obviously, that once one goes, the other goes as well. They are intimately connected with one another, and all you have to do is look at some of the largest uh, historic mainline denominations in the West and follow their degradation over time, and what started? What was, what was the foundation? It was an abandonment of the view of the Scriptures as being a divine revelation from God, and therefore normative as to uh, how uh, men are to behave, and what we are to believe, and what the Church is to do, and so on and so forth. So uh, I don't think that you can. Um, I, I know that there are people who sort of search for that as if it's the holy grail of modern theology, uh, find some way to make that work, but um, I, don't, I don't think it's possible. Three real quick final questions. How is this new view of biblical inerrancy similar or different from old-line liberal scholars like those we find in the Jesus Seminar? Well, especially the Jesus Seminar folks uh, are, are not—they don't even want to be teaching at Westminster. Um, Peter Enns wanted to continue to do so, and I think people need to realize the staff voted to continue to have Peter Enns teaching at Westminster. It was only the board 
that voted against that. So uh, the actual uh, teaching staff at Westminster did not want him to be, uh, uh, to, well, to leave uh, as of August 1st, 2008. Uh, so that, I think, bodes future uh, discussions of these same issues uh, that will indeed come up. Um, so um, that that needs to be uh, needs to be kept in mind. Uh, could you could you rephrase the, the question for me? Uh, well, I'm just wondering. You know, the Jesus seminar people just go through oh, and yeah. pick and choose the passages they think, and it is, and they admit it's arbitrary. It's, There's no yeah, scholarship right. going yeah. on here. Is yeah. anything different happening with the new view? Yeah, well, yeah, it, 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 at least as far as ends would uh, would represent it, uh, there certainly is at least an attempt on ends part to show some kind of a uh, obeisance to or reverence for uh, the, the the Westminster Confession, for example, at Westminster, uh, something along those lines. It certainly would not only not be a part of the Jesus Seminar, but uh, especially in its founders, there would be a, a desire to, to mock such things. So there's certainly that attempt that I think goes back to the desire to remain within what will be called broadly evangelical uh, paradigms and categories. So you're not going to see the same kind of uh, wild-eyed uh, rhetoric that you do get from the, the Jesus Seminar folks on a regular basis. Then finally, with only 30 seconds, what is at stake with the new view of biblical inerrancy? I think the ability to stand before God's people and say, thus saith the Lord, uh, to be able to say, this is the gospel, uh, this is the means of peace with God, this is what justification is, this is what your hope of eternal life is when you're staying by the deathbed, uh, to be able to say, this is uh, what God says, these are his promises. Uh, I think that really is it, what is at stake in all of these things, and uh, um, it's, it's really that important and that central. James White is director of Alpha and Omega Ministries based in Phoenix. He's author of more than 20 books. He's also written a story in the latest Christian research journal titled, Does Inerrancy Matter Any Longer? James, thank you. Thank you very much, sir. God bless. Tomorrow on Issues Etc., we're going to begin a three-part weekly series on how modern scholars distort the Gospels. That's their favorite target, of course, the four Gospels. Dr. Craig Evans will be our guest. Tomorrow we'll discuss the best sources for understanding the real Jesus. Folks, we currently have 2,457, that's almost 2,500 fans, at our Facebook fan page for Issues Etc. We'd like you to help us get to 2,500. When you go to our Facebook fan page, you can become a fan. That means you get to interact with other fans there. They do it as we speak. When we post previews, the conversation begins. You also find pictures there from our fans and from the studio. And always uh, a little something of what's coming up on Issues Etc. at our Facebook fan page. It's facebook.com slash issues etc. Facebook.com slash issues etc. Become a fan of Issues Etc. on Facebook. Help us get to 2,500 real quick. Is it God's word or is it man's word? That's the question. Is it Jesus thought it was God's word? He thought it came straight from his father through the human author's undiluted revelation from God. He regarded the Old Testament, the scriptures of his day, as God's word, not man's word. He's very clear and very harsh with those who would substitute man's word for God's word. Isn't that true? Yeah. Same is true of the New Testament. Is it God's word or man's word? Well, we have the biblical authors there asserting over and over again that these are divine revelations from God. They are saying all over the place, thus saith the Lord. They regard it as God's word too. So who are we 
today to disregard what Christ himself says, what his own apostles had to say about the Holy Word of God. To say, well, it might be God's Word in some sense, but it's also man's Word, or it's mostly man's Word. And then it's really only a matter of degree on how much, how seriously you take Holy Scripture. And really, once you step even one toe over the line saying, well, it's also man's word too, you're on a slippery slope. There's no place you can stop where you can't say for sure that it is God's word. I'm Todd Wilkin. Talk with you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc., Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Lutheran Public Radio, P.O. Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.